You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he will be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace. By the blood of the cross, him we proclaim. All right, hopefully you guys picked up a little booklet in the back. If not, you can grab one later. We're going to start a, gr- a new series today. Um, next 13, just 14 weeks, take us up to the... Thanksgiving holiday, Lord willing, if, if, unless we have a, we have to always plan for a hurricane date in there, you know, just in case we miss a Sunday. So it's like snow days up north, a hurricane day. We have a hurricane day planned in there just in case. So for you guys, so, so we'll get there. Um, and then we'll have a Sunday where Beulah is gonna come back and worship with us in late September. So we're excited about that too. I, I'm, I, I, my family's, we love cereal, all right? I, and I've told you this before. My favorite cereal of all time is Fruit Loops. Uh, Fruit Loops is the, is the bomb. Uh, I'm not much, it's a really a win-win if you think about it because I'm not much of a fruit and veggie guy. So if I can eat Fruit Loops and I can get my daily uh, supply of, of fruit, uh, my, my fruit intake, right? So it's, you know, I mean, you got the orange, it represents the oranges and, you know, you got grape and you got, you know, blueberries. It's a great, right? <laughs> but alas, this week I checked the, 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 you know, nutritional value and Toucan Sam is a liar, because not only is there no fruit in Fruit Loops, there's some niacin and zinc if you need that in your diet. Uh, but apparently, all the Fruit Loops taste the same. They just have different colors. Great disappointment in my heart when I found that out. Uh, so, uh, but they all, but Toucan Sam says there's fruit and he's swinging from a vine and there's fruit on vines and they got the colors and they got, it's got the name, right? But there is something significantly different between fruit and a Fruit Loop, right? Uh, and the church and the churches are the same, right? Churches can have a claim and a spokesperson and flashy colors, and they can say all the right things. But there is a difference between a fruitful church and a Fruit Loop church, right? There is. What is that difference? That's what we're gonna see today as we jump into our new series on the book of Colossians. And so if you have a Bible, uh, we're in the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. We'll put it on the screen. But I would encourage you during this series if you, to, to bring your Bibles with you. Mark it up, write in the, in the booklets we give you um, just to kind of to put maybe on your shelf for later or use it in your family, whatever. We're trying to, to equip our church with the scripture 
And I have two goals for us this morning. If you're new or visiting, what we typically do is we work our way through books of the Bible or portions of a book of the Bible uh, from, from the beginning to the end. And the reason we do that is number one, that's how it was written, it's logical. Number two, it keeps us honest. I can't skip all the hard stuff. Right, and so we're gonna work through the book of Colossians. Uh, and two goals for today. Number one, I wanna give you the background of the book. Right, when you understand what's going on on the other side uh, uh, in the backdrop, the book will come alive for you. Right, and so I wanna do that today. Uh, and then secondly, I wanna introduce the, the, the text and we'll, we'll see what a fruitful church versus a fruit loop church looks like. And so let's talk about the background briefly of this book, a book of Colossians. Um, for, for some of you, you have a little bit of a faulty view of how we got the scriptures. So in your mind, you're thinking, okay, the apostle Paul is doing his quiet time one day and all of a sudden, kind of God, like a light shines into his room and it's like, write down, Paul, what I tell you to write down. Yes, God, and he just writes it down. That only happens like twice in the Bible and the 10 commandments is one of them. Okay, so this, this, the, the way scripture was, was given to us and copied down is the apostles, in many cases in the New Testament especially, they said, okay, I'm, the four that wrote, not all of them are apostles, but Matthew and, and, and John, they're like, I'm going to write an account of Jesus' life. And they start putting it together. Or the apostle Paul's like, I got to write a letter to this guy or this group, this church. And, this. and what happens is that they set out to write a letter and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and moves them to write without error his exact precise words. And so what Peter says is, know this first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. It's not my ideas. It's not what I think. This is God moving on the apostles or the Old Testament writers Right? Because no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. And it's a word that's used of wind and a sail in another place in the New Testament. It's as if they're the sail and the wind is blowing where God wants. And so they, they think they're writing a letter and what they're really doing is writing scripture. They don't even know in most cases they're writing scripture. Now it's recognized very soon after by before Paul is even dead, Peter is recognizing his writings as scripture. Right? So that, that's more what happened. And so this is a real letter to real people who have real lives and real girlfriends and real jobs and, and they don't like vegetables either and, and they got the chicken pox. And it's real stuff going on that Paul is writing to. And so when we can get kind of behind the scenes and, and see what's going on, it'll open up the book for us. Remember, we are reading someone else's mail. This letter was not written to you. It was, it's for you, but you're not living in Colossae in 58, 60 AD. So this is a letter to them. It's for us, but it's to them, right? So here's what's going on. I'll give you the backdrop, all right? It's about 60, 61 AD. The apostle Paul is in prison, right? His, his first imprisonment. He is actually under house arrest, waiting for his accusers from Jerusalem to show up, which they never actually do. But he is under house arrest. He's always got a Roman guard sitting right there, but he, and he has to pay for his own apartment, but he's allowed a little bit of freedom and he's allowed to have guests, believe it or not. And so one day, there's a knock at the door. Paul opens the door and it's a man named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was someone who when, when Paul was in Ephesus in about 54, 55 AD for three years on his third missionary journey, was at some point in that time converted to Christianity. 
He was there on business or he was there for a season. He runs with the apostle Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. He believes. And then Epaphras goes back to his hometown of Colossae. And what he does there is he goes to Colossae where there is no Christians and he starts telling people about Jesus. And what happens is people start believing and now we have a church, the Colossian church, right? The apostle Paul actually never visited Colossae. He had never met these people. He had never seen their face we're gonna see, right? And so Epaphras starts this church. They hear that the apostle Paul has been imprisoned. And so they're like, hey, you need to go hang out with your buddy. Here, take, some, take a care package, you know, go, go visit him, see how he's doing. They send Epaphras, he shows up in Rome and starts just kind of filling him in, filling Paul. Hey man, the church is doing great. And he shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because there's always an ugly in a church because the church is filled with sinners. Right? So there's no perfect church, there's some brokenness. So he's sharing the good, he's sharing the not so good. And one thing that he shares to the Apostle Paul just burdens Paul so much that he says, I gotta write him a letter. So he says, Timothy, Timothy's his protege. And Timothy is actually, we'll find out with him while he's in prison. And so Timothy is gonna be his kind of scribe. He says, Timothy, write this down. So Timothy pulls out his you know, Sharpie or big pen or whatever and starts writing. And Paul starts dictating a letter back to the Colossian church. And, and the reason why he wants to write him a letter is because false teaching has kind of crept its way into the church a little bit, right? It, it snuck its way in and, it's, and they're starting to have some questions about who Jesus is and what he has done. The same stuff that's really floating around 2,000 years later. The same stuff, really, that Satan attacks Adam and Eve with in the garden. Did God really say? Is that what God really wants, right? And so what they're facing is this, it's kind of this syncretic uh, religious you know, mishmash, kind of like a, a crock pot meal, where you just take out your crock pot and you're like, what do we have in the fridge? Psh, little bit of that, little bit of that. No veggies, just meat. Throw all the meat we have in there, right? And it's kind of that where you're taking, you're taking some Jesus and we're throwing some Jesus in there, but we got some, some philosophy and some this and that. We're just gonna make a big religious casserole. And that's kind of what, what's going on and it's creeping into the church. And there's three big kind of pieces of meat that are going into their little casserole. One is this, this legalistic Jewish tradition where they had to follow the rules. If you're gonna be a fruitful people, they gotta follow the rules. So a fruitful church is a, a church that doesn't drink or chew or go with girls who do. That's a fruitful church, right? So there's this, this, this view of asceticism and don't drink and don't touch and don't listen. We'll see that. That's one piece that's going into the crock pot. Another piece is there's this, this Greek philosophy, right? Because they went to, to Greek high school and they were in, in Greek everything. And so they had a philosophical just upbringing where there was a dualistic approach to everything. There was either body or spirit and all body is bad and all spirit is good. Right? That was their idea. And so everything spiritual is good. And so knowledge and things like that, everything body is bad. And it was causing their view of Jesus to be faulty because if body is bad, then Jesus couldn't really be a man. He couldn't really have a body because he would be sinful because body is sinful and they couldn't figure that out. And so he's gonna correct that, that weird uh, philosophical Gnostic kind of teaching as well. And then there's a mystic piece to their little crock pot meal where it's all about experience. And so you're gonna see they're worshiping angels and they're, they're, they're talking about dreams and visions and, and all this wacky stuff. And let me just be very honest and frank. Christians come up with some of the wackiest, stupid stuff you've ever seen. I mean, gold dust, 
angel feathers, people running up and down the aisle, falling, laughing, the stupidest stuff you've ever seen. It's about experience and it's about this. And, and, we even, we, and that's the extreme of it. What we, where we see it, the subtle area is, well, I didn't really connect with Jesus today. I didn't really like the songs. Or I didn't really, I didn't really get into the sermon. And, and it's all about experience, right? It's all about, well, if I don't feel, then it must not be. And so there's a big mismatch of false doctrine that's creeping in. And what he is going to do is he's gonna point them back to Jesus and basically say, Jesus is enough. He's enough. You don't need tradition and aestheticism and legalism. Jesus is enough, right? You, you don't need this dualistic, no, no, no. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. He is this, right? You don't need experience. You don't need this. You need you need Christ. And so he's gonna exalt and, and just, it's one of the most thorough and saturated books of the Bible when it talks about the excellency and the supremacy of Jesus. And so he's gonna point them back to that. And there's kind of three big purposes of the letter. Number one is to correct this false doctrine by giving them an accurate view of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. Number two, to help them press on to maturity. He doesn't want them to stay immature. He wants to help them mature as a church. And number three, very simply and pragmatically, he wants to tell them what's going on, how he's doing, how they can pray for him, right? But the book really simply, if you're looking to outline it, it's four chapters, breaks into real simple two parts. Chapters one and two is basically who Jesus is and what he's done. Chapters three and four is what does it mean for us now? How, how does it look now that, now that I know who he is, right? And we've, our key verse kind of that we've kind of zoomed in on and we've named this series is based on 128. And here's, by the way, the map of, I, I didn't even show this. So here's where Colossae is. You can see it on the map. Paul's in Rome. It's about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Um, just kind of, it's still there today. You can go visit it. There's ruins and stuff there. But um, it's, it wasn't, he, Paul never visited it on any of his journeys, but this is what the gospel did. It spread and we'll see that. Key verse is this, 128. Him we proclaim. That's why we named it this. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom was the result that we may present everyone mature. That there, there would be a maturity and that's, all, that's our prayer. As we prayed about this series back in the spring, what we're gonna do, our, our goal is to, remember, we gather to equip, we grow into those specks and then we go and be the church. And so our goal is to equip us to follow Jesus. There will be a maturity in this body. That's our goal, right? And, and so we've, we've created these booklets. There's nothing magical about them, but it, it, there's like some consistency. You can bring that, take notes, write in them. We've actually put, this is one of the challenges we want you guys to rise up for, is we've put a memory verse every week in this booklet. The key kind of passage for every sermon. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's three. But we really want us to, hey, this week, this is a great discipleship opportunity for your kids, by the way, you and your spouse to talk about spiritual things. Just work through this memory verse. It's like two or three verses a week, right? You memorize the Georgia fight song, for goodness sakes. You can memorize a verse of Bible, right? So, so let's really, as a church, try to, to let the word of God richly dwell within us. That's the goal of this. That how can a young man keep his way? If you're keeping it according to your word, right? Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the goal. Not in a legalistic way, but we wanna be a people who our minds are renewed and transformed, right? And so it's a great opportunity. We, the kids, and we'll show you some of these later. The kid, we, 
Gardner and Payne and a couple of others, they've been writing songs for Colossians. So the kids are gonna be actually singing these. And some of these are really good. You've seen them on Facebook. I mean, they got some beat. I mean, you can go on Facebook. They've written songs to these verses so that the kids are gonna be learning the same thing. Right, because we just want this to be a whole church body thing. And, and one, one suggestion for you is you know what the text is gonna be for the week ahead. You have it in the booklet, read it. Come, come to church and have at least read what we're gonna be preaching on. Maybe read it a couple times so you're ready. Uh, and your community groups, these books can help with you even if you wanna write stuff down. It's just we want to be equipping you guys to follow Jesus. So this is gonna be a, hopefully a great uh, moment for us and a great equipping season of, as, we, uh, as him we proclaim. Uh, the goal to present everyone mature in Christ. So that's kind of the background. False teaching, Paul's correcting. He's gonna point back to Jesus. Let's talk about the difference between a fruitful and a fruit loop church, right? Let me jump into our text. We'll just, we'll just read the first couple verses as he intros it here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul's the author, obviously. He is an apostle. For those unfamiliar with that, a lot of times you'll see, you know, the apostle so-and-so is coming to speak, an apostle this, an apostle this. The, the word apostle just means sent or messenger. So in one sense, we're all apostles because we've been sent. On the other hand, there are no more offices of apostle in, in, in the church. This was an early church. There was only 12 to 15 men that fulfilled this office. The, to, the qualifications to be an apostle, you had to see Jesus alive. That eliminates everyone for the last pretty much 2,000 years. And secondly, you had to be able to do miracles and signs to prove your apostleship, all right? So, so, so the office of apostle is no longer, although we all are sent. But the, the key for us is there's an authority piece for Paul. He's an apostle, right? And so he is writing to them as an authority. And here we are 2,000 years later. And, our, and the question is, are we gonna put ourselves under the authority of, of scripture and the apostle Paul? That's the same thing they have to do, right? So he says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Remember, Paul was not someone who was like excited about Jesus. He was actually opposing Jesus. He was drugging into the kingdom, kicking and streaming. God knocks him off his horse and blinds him. So this is clearly God chose him. God appointed him. And he's reminding them of that. Hey, this has nothing to do with me. It's by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. That's his protege. That's the one who's probably writing the letter. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Here, here's, again, we wanna unpack this so you understand. When, when Paul uses the word saints, some of you come from a tradition, a saint is someone who did something cool. Right? He did something special. He found the Holy Grail. He did something, right? Um, in, the, in the Bible, a saint is a Christian. It just means holy one. We are all saints. If you've put your faith in Christ, you are a saint. And it's not because you've done anything good. It's because you are, what, in Christ. That's why you're a saint, right? Because you recognize I'm not good. I can't do anything good. And so this is one of Paul's favorite titles. This is what we talked about last week, that your position drives your practice. I'm a saint. I don't look like a saint. Sometimes I don't act like a saint, but I'm a saint. And so are you. So he says to the saints and the faithful brothers, I love that line, because we oftentimes think of these churches that, uh, you know, these churches are a train wreck. Colossae was a good group of folks, y'all. They were a good group of folks just trying their best to follow Jesus. And yeah, they had some issues, just like you. This, but this is not a train wreck church like Corinth or Galatia that's kind of swerving way off the map. These are good dudes, good dudettes, 
right? And, they, and, and remember, they didn't have this. This is probably their first copy of any Bible, right? This is an, a, a rookie church, but they're getting it right in most things and they're doing it right. And so this is a great model for us, right? And he says, grace to you and peace, because that's what God brings. False teachers bring confusion. God brings grace and peace. Let's get into the heart of this part. And I'm gonna read it all because it's one long run-on sentence and we'll come back and attack it and kind of dig in because it'll show you fruit versus fruit loop. Here we go. Verses three and through eight. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, oh, I jumped the gun there, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So he starts off saying, hey, we pray for y'all. We always thank God for you. Remember, he hasn't met them, they haven't met him. But he says, we pray for you and we are thankful for you because you are a fruitful church and you are not a Fruit Loop church. What makes them a fruitful church? Four things. And this, this is what we gotta get. This is what we wanna be. So mark these down, write them in your little booklets, write them in your Bible, whatever. Write them on your spouse's hand, I don't care. But remember these, this is fruit versus Fruit Loop. He says, we thank God the Lord Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since one, here's number one, you've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of your faith. Very simple statement, right? You say, yeah, that's obvious. Not so much. But first thing is this, a fruitful church demonstrates faith in Christ. All right, okay, I think the wording is important here. He doesn't say, we thank God for your faith, and he just leaves it there. Because there's a lot of churches that say, we got faith, and we're about faith, and we're about, we love faith, and faith, faith in what? Tell me what your faith is in. You can say, I have faith that the dogs are gonna beat Bama this year. Well, your faith is wrong. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. They have the devil on their team, and you're not gonna beat them, right? It, it, your faith, your faith is only good as the object of your faith. And what does he say their faith is in? Your faith is in the Lord Jesus. We pray that, that your, your faith is in Christ Jesus. Two kind of phrases there. That, remember the word Christ is Messiah. Your faith is in Jesus as the Messiah. Your faith is in Jesus as the Lord. See, a lot of churches in, that are gathering this morning, they may be gathering and they may have all the colors and they may have a guy standing up here and they may have all the flash, but they are not distinctly Christ-centered. There's gonna be a lot of talk about be good, be nice, God bless America, what we're gonna do, what we're gonna be, or we're, gonna, we're gonna do all this stuff. And maybe that's not bad. But when you take all that and you separate it from the message of the cross, it's not it's Fruit Loop. Because your position drives practice, not the other way around. Him we proclaim. That's what Paul says. Right? He's gonna later say, he is the head of the body, the church. How can the church do anything separated from the head? You behead something, it's dead. 
It's gotta be connected to the head. He is the firstborn from the dead so that in all things he may be preeminent. The goal is for him to be exalted. How can he not be the center of what we do and talk about, right? He is all these things, the firstborn of all creation. I mean, there's all this, this text we're gonna see. It's gonna keep pointing back, right? A fruitful church is a Christ-centered church. A fruitful life is a Christ-centered life. We gotta get that. And it has to be, it's gotta be demonstrated. It's gotta be seen. It's, it's radical for them. It's kind of radical for us. For them, remember, this is a group of Greeks who grew up with a pantheon of gods. Zeus, Hercules, all, you know, you've seen Clash of the Titans, right? All Whoever, all the people in that movie, right? All those gods, Hermes, that's their gods. And one day, they come home and they say to their spouse or their parents, I'm done with Zeus and I'm done with Mars and I'm done with all these gods. Now I have Jesus. And let me tell you, that's radical. That's radical. Just like it is for us. When you, and this is why it's so powerful when I see a 45-year-old, a 55-year-old get baptized, a 70-year-old. Not that I don't love the five-year-old getting baptized, but when I see a 43-year-old person who's said, my whole life has been about money, it's been about me, it's been about selfishness, and I'm done with that, and now I love Jesus, now I am following Jesus, that is a powerful thing that people pay attention to, right? And it is a fruitful thing. If it's a college student that says, I'm gonna do this because that's what Jesus wants me to, and so I'm not gonna go get blitzed on a Friday night Hung over Saturday, go do it again Saturday night. I'm not gonna be shacking up with my girlfriend. I'm not gonna be doing that because I'm following Jesus. It is a powerful thing, right? A fruitful church demonstrates faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah. And what you have to get and I have to get is when we talk about a fruitful church, we're not talking about CBC as an organization. We're not talking about the church's doctrinally sound. The church is the people. We don't, we don't go to church, we are the church. This is why we tell you to go be the church. So the fruitful church is only as fruitful as y'all and me, bottom line. So if we're gonna be fruitful, then that means you, Mr. Boss Man, Mrs. Boss Man, you high school student, you stay at home mom, you young professional, you're fruitful you're demonstrating in your life a faith in Christ. Not about me, right? Nothing to do, my job is to feed the sheep, yes, but it's about you. A fruitful church is made up of fruitful people. And so you gotta ask the question, and I want you to ask it. Does your life demonstrate faith in Christ as Messiah, as Jesus the Messiah? Is there enough proof in your life to uh, find you guilty of being a Christian? It's a question we all gotta ask. Because if not, you may be a Fruit Loop Christian. And that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line, right? So first thing, a fruitful church, there's a demonstration of Jesus as Messiah, as Jesus of Lord. But that's not where he stops. He says, we, we are thankful that we have heard of your faith in Christ and and the love that you have for all the saints, right? Second thing, real simple. A fruitful church demonstrates a love for one another, right? And Clint hit this pretty good last week. 
Y'all, Christianity is not rocket science. We make it rocket science. Oh, it's got, you gotta go deeper things. You gotta five points of this and seven points of this and pre this and post this and all these things. You know, again, these people hardly have any scripture besides the Old Testament maybe, and they get it. Faith in Christ, who he is, what he's done, loving the saints, boom. Right? It's, it's not always easy, but it ain't hard. It ain't complex. It shouldn't be. And if we make it complex, then shame on us. Faith in Christ, love for one another. There is an inseparable link in the scripture between faith and love. You say, well, because you, 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 what you see often is, especially in the younger folks, well, I, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't like the church. You can't, it doesn't work that way. That may sound good, but it's not biblical because you can't break the two apart. Faith and, and love, it's like PB and J, right? It's like hot dog and mustard, and don't you dare bring no ketchup on my hot dog. It's like Tybee and tattoos, they go together, okay? And you cannot separate that, right? And this is what scripture teaches. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. This is John the Apostle, best buddy of Jesus. He says, he does not, if you don't have love for your brother who you see, you cannot love God who you have not seen. Right? Cyprian, the third century bishop, uh, said this, no one can have God for his father who is not the church for his mother. And so the reason why the New Testament talks so much about loving one another and loving our brother, especially in our sister, is because it's so significant and compelling that you have faith in Christ. And here's another reason, because he knows we're gonna wrestle and struggle with it. Because let's be honest, some of the most nastiest, mean-spirited, divisive, critical, ungrateful people in the world are supposedly Christian. And I wish that was a punchline. It's not, right? But a fruitful church loves each other. Loves each other. Paul says, I'm so thankful for y'all. Not that you got great off the chain music. Not that you got great programs. Not that you got great leaders. You just, you love each other. I hear about your love. Epaphras is telling me how much you love one another. Man, and I can tell you, as, as a pastor, I mean, yeah, it's great to have a full room and it's great to have a good budget. But in the end, what encourages me is not how much money we have in the bank or how much people in this room. When I hear about some, how some of y'all are loving each other and caring for each other and meeting needs and when I hear visitors saying you're so welcoming, that is what, that is what gets me excited. That's what it has to, right? So you gotta ask, again, because this is not about what Bill does, it's about what we do. Do you love the saints? And not just the ones here. I mean, you gotta love the Presbyterians too and the Baptists. I know it's hard, all right? You got do you love those who call the name Christ as Lord, right? And do you love those here, right? It's, it's, how do you speak of people? Are you always critical? I, I love what, what Clint said last week. Do you assume the best or do you assume the worst like that? You see, you know, a couple come in a little late, sneak in the back, and you're like, well, well, you, you, well, if you didn't get up 20, if you just get up 20 minutes early, you can make it to church on time. You don't know what happened on the way to church. You don't know if their kid had a blowout on the way and you gotta turn around and get new diapers. You have no clue, but you jump to a conclusion. That's not loving the saints. 
right? If you have a roommate who's a tra- about to train wreck their life with a relationship and you're like, well, that's their deal and you don't go say, hey, you gotta stop. You don't love them, you love you, right? Sometimes love means having a haunted conversation. If you're easily offended by everything and we have a culture that is so easily offended, it drives me nuts. Makes me wanna go out of my way to offend you. That's all, right? But if you're, love, 1 Corinthians 13, is not easily offended. It, it bears with, some of you, see, one person does one thing and you don't come back to church. Some of you singles, if you are dating somebody and you break up, which may happen, don't leave the church, just go to a different service, right? <laughs> okay, we'll, just, we'll figure that out for you. But it, we, we gotta learn how to handle not getting along sometimes. Who do you serve? If you don't serve anybody, I'm just telling you, then you don't love them. Because it just means you love yourself. If all your time goes to you, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have your own time, but if you never serve anyway, you love, you serve who you love. How do you use your time? Let me, let me encourage some of you. In you, first service, you guys are good. I'm gonna go to the second service, but don't rush out of here right at 1017. You're gonna beat the Baptist to Barnes, I promise you. Okay, linger. Meet, get here early, or if you, but just don't rush out. Have a conversation. I know sometimes you got, oh, I got a meeting at 11, blah, 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 blah. But, but stay for the service. It's not just the word, it's the worship and, and it's all these things. But you don't know who you're gonna meet. You don't know who needs to talk to you. It's not always about you. And I know some of them, well, no one ever talks to me. If we're gonna have a debate on who's the most insecure in the room, is that where we're gonna be, Really? Maybe God is calling us to move. Maybe God's calling you to move over there and say, hey, I haven't seen you before. I'm Joe. What's up? Why don't you come to our community group? Oh, you're new? Great. See, that, that's, a move, that's, just a, that's a small piece, but it's moving toward. This is why groups is so significant for us too. And I know groups are hard. Look, there's no perfect group. And sometimes at least, there's at least one annoying person in every group. And if you're like, well, I don't know if there is one in our group, then it may be you. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> but there's going to be annoying people. But see, here's the thing. You, you assume that when you just like, I can't go because they're always talking about this and how they're always a train wreck and their marriage is always a problem. You're assuming that their nuttiness and their knuckleheadness and their issues are worse than yours. And what the gospel says is Jesus dealt with all your issues, so now you can go deal with theirs. And yes, and it may be inconvenient and annoying to hear it sometimes but not as annoying as you were at one point. Remember, and this is, this is where it gets really hard, y'all. This is where the rubber meets the road, because it's easy to love and laugh. Oh, yeah, it's fun, right? When George is winning, everyone's loving each other. What about when someone hurts you? I mean, deep down, a Christian wounds you deeply. That's when this is the rubber meeting the road, but that's when fruit really is most seen. And Ephesians tells us how to handle that. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why? Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You will never be offended more than you offended Jesus. Never. Infinitely more. Your sin, nail him to the cross. So as bad as someone has treated you, you, they will, you will never be as poorly treated as you treated Christ. And he says, I love you. And so you move towards people. That is hard. I'm not saying that's easy, but that is fruit. And it's the sign of a fruitful church when we can do that, right? 
It's, it's, that's really all. It doesn't matter. The quality of my sermons doesn't matter. Right? The numbers of people doesn't matter. If I speak with the tongues of angels, and I do, <laughs> but yet I have not love, I am a clanging gong. Right? So, love one another. A fruitful church, not a fruitless church, fruitful, demonstrates faith in Christ, love for one another, and then there's the trifecta, you know what's coming, right? Faith, hope, and love. Because of the hope, they do this because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And listen to the language, right? Because of, so they love and they have faith, why? Because of hope, and the idea of hope is a confident expectation of something better. We've talked about that before, right? It's not I hope, I hope, it's no, I hope, I know. This is a confident expectation of something better. And it is laid up in heaven. It is reserved in heaven. And the tense of the verb is the, is the perfect where it's, it's right now reserved and it will be in the future reserved. You have hope. Where do they hear of this hope? Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. They heard about their hope in the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? Christ died, he rose again for the forgiveness of sins. Right, that's it, Christ died for your sins and he rose again. That is the good news and he gives you eternal life for those who believe. That is the hope that they have, right? And so follow logic, they hear the gospel, the gospel gives them hope, their hope drives their faith and their love. Why, because position drives practice. What you believe always, always, always impacts how you behave. Right? And so here's the third sign of a fruitful church is their hope is in the good news. It's in the gospel. It compels us. What I believe drives how I behave, not vice versa. Let me, let me just tell you guys a, a hard truth. All right, this is a hard truth, but you need to hear it. You are going to die. <laughs> I mean... And I'm not saying, okay, great, we're gonna die. Let's go eat Big Macs and drink root beer and sit on the couch all day long, although there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just telling you, you can, you can take all the multivitamins and you can do Pilates and yoga yourself to death. You can eat tofu till the cows come home. I'll eat the cows, you eat the tofu. But one day you will expire unless Jesus returns. It's going to happen. I dropped my kid off at college yesterday. It seems like yesterday I was holding him in my arms at Beaufort Memorial Hospital as a 26-year-old. It's a vapor. It is coming. Where's your hope in light of that? Where is your confident expectation? Right? Because it'll determine how you live in this world. So you say, well, I just don't believe in anything after death. I believe that's it, it's done. If that's the case, that's fine. But your hope is only good, as good as, as what it, you're hoping in, right? So the question that you have to ask is, what am I hoping in? And is, it cannot carry the weight of my hope. So if you say, oh, everything's, it's just nothing. It's just kind of karma. It's just whatever, fine, right? If that's what you believe. You better be right. Some of you, right, you're putting your hope in the fact that oh, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes, I do this, I do that, I do that. Keep the golden rule. Great, here's the problem with that. You're good compared to what? Adolf Hitler, right? You're good compared to uh, Charles Manson. See, scripture says that your best day is like filthy rags. So I don't know if your hope in that can carry the weight of what you're hoping in it. Some of you, your hope's in stuff. Well, you wouldn't say that. But your life, remember, your, your life will show what you hope in. So you wouldn't say my hopes and stuff because you know you can't take it with you, but your life dictates that it is, 
right? My kids play this game. It's called Fortnite. Some of your parents know what this game is. So the devil. Um, the creators of this game are geniuses because they created this game and they put it online and it's free. And you're like, how do they make any money? They must be broke. Au contraire, mon frere. Last year, 2018, Fortnite made $2.4 billion. Billion with a B. Free game. Well, how do they make money? They have these things called V-Bucks. I looked it up. Vendor Tech Bucks. It's an in-game currency. So if you want your, your avatar to like wear a certain outfit, just buy some vendor tech bucks. It's like $10 of your money, parents, uh, for, like, for like a thousand vendor tech bucks or whatever, right? And then the kids can buy a pair of jeans or a new sword or a helmet. They buy dance moves, by the way. I mean, they can do so that you can dance over your dead victim on the ground, like, woo, you know. You just, I mean, they can buy everything. Here's the thing. They're, it, they're buying stuff that doesn't exist. They're buying axes and weapons that are not real. All it is is a bunch of zeros and ones in some server somewhere. It's a line of code. And they're, I wish I would have invested in this company. They're geniuses. But here's the thing. Some of you are doing the same thing with your life. You got a bunch of dance moves and a bunch of cars and a bunch of stuff that you think it's gonna last and it's gonna bring you hope and it's just a bunch of dance moves that, are gonna, that don't exist ultimately. And I'm not down on stuff, stuff's fine. But if you're putting your hope in that, it's a vendor tech buck, right? Right? And, and so we, we've got, got a question, where is our hope? Because it determines the reality of our now. If I'm driving home and I'm hungry, but I know my wife's made a spaghetti dinner with a great salad, I'm not gonna stop at Wendy's for a four for four because I have some expectation of what's coming. That's the Christian. Where's your hope? If your hope is in the good news of what Jesus has done and what he's going to do, do you know what that means, single? That means you know that you're, that you're gonna be pure or you're gonna, you're gonna pursue purity. Why? Because you know there's something better. You're not gonna rack up credit card debt till the cows come home, right? Because you know there's something better. It's going to determine how you live now. Your hope determines your now. So the question is, where's your hope? A fruitful church hopes in the truth of the gospel and it shapes the now, right? It shapes the now, right? Fruitful church loves each other, demonstrates a faithful in Christ. They put their hope in what is to come because of the gospel. And one more thing real quick. Verses six to eight. And the subject here is the gospel, right? So it's kind of hanging, again, one long, we're on a sense. But the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Right? The, the, the big E on the I chart on this passage is the gospel. In fact, uh, he actually sets the text up in a way to highlight this. But here's the fourth piece, right? Fourth piece of a fruitful church is we are a people who partner in the gospel. And I use that word partner on purpose because the gospel doesn't need you. What did the text say? It's bearing fruit. It's increasing. And it's in, a, in the middle voice in the Greek tense, which means it's doing it on its own. It doesn't need you. It's not an outside force. It's increasing its own. It's, it's bearing fruit on its own. It doesn't need you. But we come alongside, like Paul says in Philippians 1.5, that he's thankful for the Philippian church and their partnership in the gospel until now. 
And, and the highlight here is he's highlighting the good news of who Jesus is. In fact, the, the text actually structured, just a real quick Greek nerd thing, but he puts it in, in a chiasmus, a chiastic structure. So this text actually points you as an arrow to the gospel. He uses the word faith and love in verse four and verse seven. There's your A, B, C. We've seen these structure before. I've highlighted these before to you. But the, the point is the gospel is bearing fruit. Everything points to the middle there, Right? That's what's going on. And so a fruitful church is a church, here's our E on our specs, is engaged with the culture for the sake of the gospel. That you are partnering with it. Not, you're internally letting it transform you. Like, like, like Epaphras. Epaphras hears the gospel, it changes his life. So he's changing, and then what? Then he increases, he goes and tells people, and then people come to faith, and there's a church. That's all we're talking about. That is us. Your responsibility is to let the gospel mold you and change you, letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then you are to go and you are to live out your hope and your faith and your love so that people see. And then you have an opportunity maybe to tell your story. Some of you downplay the power of the story that God has given you. Your story is powerful. What God has done in your life, how he's taken you from X to Y, you need to, you need to share that, you need to tell somebody. You need to see Gulfstream, Windsor Forest High School, Memorial Hospital, SCAD, wherever. You need to see that place as your mission field, right? Where you are living faith, hope, and love out and looking for an opportunity for God to use the gospel to move towards the point. If, look, if we're, I don't care how much quiet time you do and how long your prayer time is, if you are not in some way engaging the culture with your faith, then you're not a fruitful, you're a fruit loop. Because God has sent us, go be the church, right? That's what we're talking about. And it starts, y'all, again, I'll do, yeah, it's me because I'm part of the body, but it starts with you. Starts with you. So, a fruitful church. Here's, here's what we want. Here's what we want to be. We demonstrate our faith in Jesus as Messiah. We love each other. We live for the hope of the gospel, for then. We don't seek our best life now, our best life is then. And then we partner with the gospel. We take it where God allows it, right? We pray for opportunities. We reach out to our neighbor. We love our boss, even if he's a jerk because it gives us opportunities to tell our story and point people back to Jesus. That is what it means to be a fruitful church. It had nothing to do with size, budget, but it has to do with your faith, your love, your hope, and your partnership. That's what we want, and that's what we want the series to do for us. Let's stand, let's pray, and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take this series as we work through and just use it to proclaim Christ in our lives, but then so we can take it outside these doors. Uh, we wanna see people's lives transformed. We wanna see people move towards Christ and we wanna see your church mature, but also wanna see it grow. We wanna see people come to faith, saving faith in Christ. Uh, and so use this for us to do that. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.